So you're ready to ask the biggest question of your life, the only question before that question. How do you find the perfect ring to ask it with? With the incredible selection of diamonds at Jared and our price match guarantee, you can dare to stop searching and find the perfect diamond at a price you'll love. Visit your local Jared store today and dare to be devoted. We promise to match any price on a like loose certified diamond of the same quality from any other jewelry retailer. See jared.com slash price match for details. Hello, and welcome to Everyday Connection Now with your hosts, Nikki Leach and Richard O'Shields, bringing your inner light to your everyday life. Welcome, everybody, to this edition of Everyday Connection Now. I'm Richard O'Shields, and just a little ways north of here, Nikki Leach. How are you, Nikki? I'm having the best day, like the best day, really. And you're going to have to share some of the bestness of the day, because I know that one of our guests said, you know, are you going to share? And so you're going to have to share. For everybody, I'm gonna have to see because uh, it has share. been a good day. It has been a good day. Um, remarkable story when I first and I just posted about this recently on my Facebook page. But when I first published my book in 2009, I gave away 50 copies to family and friends. Only three of those people actually ever read the book, and one of them told her friends about it. Unbeknownst to me, apparently there are other are people out there reading the book. <laughs> and, uh, we just dug up a photo today on Amazon because uh, a lady from Australia sent me a message saying, I just did a review on Amazon, and I'm going to read that in a minute because it's a really nice review, and I just love her to death for it. Um, but we found this picture from 2010 of this guy named Paul, and he's there with his lovely lady, Love, and it's what he wrote underneath the picture that really moves me and humbles me, and it... <sighs> I'm really blessed to have found it at this point in my life where I can really appreciate it and just, you know, I, I want to shout out to him because there's no last name. I don't know how to find you, but if you're out there and you listen to my stuff and you follow my stuff, please get in touch with me so I can say thank you for believing in me from the beginning. Because he wrote, wrote the soul is the one place in which we are all truly ourselves and with the uniting of two souls is the union of heaven and earth as our Heavenly Father meant. This author is one of the heavenly souls he has sent to be amongst us. Mm. Truly humbling. Blew my mind. I just found it today. So, Paul, if you're listening, I've posted all over Facebook. I'm looking for you. I want to say thank you. Um, and the other one, this is really cool because it's just now. Like it's, it's 2014, and I published this in 2009, but it's just now that people are really like starting to find this book and, and, and appreciate the journey within it. Um, so this is from Kate in Australia. Engaging from the beginning, a fantastic book. I was unable to put it down. Even up to the last few pages, I was still captivated by this book, not wanting it to end, wanting to hear more. The author is so engaging. It is like she's in the room with you and having a conversation. All who read truth will not be disappointed. Loved it. And I just want to say that really when I wrote it, I wanted to have it 
be as if I was just talking to a friend. That's my writing style. It's always been my writing style because my readers are my friends. They're my family. Um, they're my go-to people to, to share all, all of the stuff that's inside. And so I just want to give a shout-out to Kate Pennington from Australia for that because, wow, thank you so much. Um, I, I, I see you is really all I can say. And um, to Rhea today, who, who from Greek sent me a request for a signed copy. So, yeah, I'm having an awesome day. <laughs> signed copy headed for Greece. Come and yeah, stand by. Nothing better, I think, for an author than, than to have somebody really, truly appreciate what you've done because I was terrified when I wrote this book. When I wrote my first novel, I was terrified of doing it, terrified of, of what I was saying, terrified of revealing these truths that I was discovering to the point where I wrote under a pen name and I wrote it as a fiction. So, you know, I just want so much love for the people who are backing me now and finding this book and really, really understanding the story and the message of the book. I, just, I, I love you all. Thank you so much. Keep it coming because it just, it just encourages me and inspires me to keep going. You know, so and, and I'll, I'll add my that. request to keep it coming because she's a lot easier to work with when she's all the happy like. <laughs> oh. Yes, yes, I'm just kidding. You, but, I mean, you are, but we all are. But uh, keep it coming because it's well deserved <laughs> as well. It's awesome, and you know who else would appreciate would appreciate that or be able to appreciate that is our guest tonight. Um, who's also an author of an amazing book and who's returning tonight with the special edition of a very special woman whose presence in his life has allowed him to be exactly who he is. And goodness gracious, couldn't we all use more of that? <laughs> really? Well, yeah, isn't that unconditional love? You let somebody be who they really are? <clears throat> Absolutely. That's what it's supposed to be about, right? So we're going to see if we can get tips about that because, you know, we always like tips. It's a DIY Absolutely. show. But uh, <laughs> uh, Lee Elders is back with us tonight, author, adventurer, and uh, uh, traveler. And with him is Brett Elders. Welcome, y'all. How are you doing? Hey, thank you. Thanks oh, it's for having good me. good to be here. Nikki, I have a question for you. What's the sure. title of your book? The title of the book is Truth, and it's, called it's called truth and the author that i wrote under was jean victoria norlock okay. okay truth a novel thank you yeah and i actually think i think you guys have a copy because i sent lee a thank you um ebook version of it we right. we send all our guests a thank you ebook version of it um for coming on the show well, I wanted the rest of the audience to know the, the title, too. Well, thank yeah. you, Brett. Yeah. <laughs> truth and novel. And if you have any trouble finding it, go by everydayconnection.me. You'll find it right there in the side. Okay. <laughs> Good job. Published, published through Grave Distractions Publications. Mm-hmm. So. So. Where would you We like? know who Lee is. Well, we're, we have to start with the question, Britt. We have to. We have to always start with the question. It's tradition, and it's our, the our question. listeners expect it. 
So, but this question's for Britt because we already know who Lee is, and he's awesome. I have to say, if um, our listeners didn't hear the first show with Lee, you have to hear it. Amazing story, blew my mind. I didn't get to say much. <laughs> Britt, mm-hmm. who on earth are you, and what do you do? Oh wow, what a question. Um, um, basically, I guess I. Uh, I'm a person who has learned over the years to let life lead me. Uh, although I must say I am a control freak when it comes to certain things, but most of the time life does a fine job of putting me exactly where I need to be. What do I do? Um, everything. <laughs> I am an author, documentary filmmaker. I produce for Fuji Television Nippon Television in Japan. I am the CEO of Shirley McLean's website. And I'm, uh, I am open to any experience that life brings. And I'm Lee's wife and have been, we've been together now 40 years. Congratulations. That, just everybody take a breath there. Yes, yes. it still <laughs> exists. 40 years of marriage, it does still exist. <laughs> it really does. We're sitting here holding hands now, so it never gets old. No, my my parents that, were 63 years, I guess, when Mom uh, went mm-hmm. went home. Uh, and, and for at least 61 of those, uh, the last couple of years, she was fairly ill. And Dad never left her side because it made her uncomfortable if he did. Yeah. Um, and so world traveler sat down and just held her hand but but up until 61 years they still made googly eyes at each other and talked baby talk on occasion and made the rest of us kids want to okay we'll be excused now <laughs> i understand my parents were the same way yeah mm-hmm. it's it's really great it's wonderful and what is so unique about lee and i for all of those years we've been together we have been together literally almost 24-7, except when one of us is traveling. Um, we work together. We write together. Uh, everything we do is encompasses the other person. And yet there is this wonderful sense of freedom, of uh, total respect that comes in the relationship. And it just makes a world of difference how everything proceeds. And by the way, if you hear a lot of panting going on here, it's not us. <laughs> we have a Pomeranian. That, you know, she's down here going. <laughs> so, uh, oh, now she's That's totally, totally acceptable on our show. Rick has a dog. I have a dog. In fact, both our dogs have the same name. Um, and so it happens every once in a while that Named we get by the others occasional and yet bark and whine. Adopted that way. <laughs> Oh, yeah. 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 And I I have to say, I just, I remember, I remember in the first interview and I, I realized that I didn't, I didn't actually get to engage much, but I was just so blown away by Lee's story. Yeah. But amazing. To be honest, to be honest, what I was most blown away by and what stands out most for me is that moment when he talked about the dream And when he talked about discussing it with you, and you didn't even think twice about it, it was, well, you have to go. 
Right. And that to me, immediately to me, that was an immediate, I want to talk to this woman. I want to meet her in some way, shape or form, because that's really, I mean, this is a, this is a long played at, I'm not going to say worked at, because I think you played at it, played at relationship that you guys have explored over 40 years. Um, I'm just recently in in a new relationship that I would say is very much akin to yours and Lee's. And, but I don't have the 40 years to share with people of experience, but I get what you're saying with regards to the respect because huge. I'm finally, finally in a relationship where there is that mutual understanding that it's okay to explore self, but it's okay and safe to explore it together. And, and that word respect is so important, and people miss it. Yeah, it is. It's tremendously important, and it's, it's also empowering because it gives each partner an opportunity to move forward at their own pace. You never feel like you have to hold up or ignore something that's going on in your life for the sake of someone else. Because if both parties are respecting each other, it's an understanding that really can't be likened to anything else. You know, at some point, somebody's always going to move a little faster and someone a little slower, just based on what they're going through in their life. So when you have that respect, you understand it, you let it happen, they always catch up, but you can't make them. They have to do things at their own pace. If I slow down, Lee says, okay, he lets me wander and do my thing, and I likewise with him. We always end up on the same page, but we have to do it for each of us as individuals as well as together in a couple. Does that make sense? Oh, it totally makes sense because <laughs> our, our, our journey together thus far has been kind of lopsided at times and just recently just this year I crashed like Uh, literally got to the point where I had no enthusiasm for life let alone work writing art because I I paint I do the radio show I write books I do the blog you know and I I just didn't want to create anything right it was a struggle for me to get up in the morning and when I finally had the courage to admit to my husband I just don't care right now. In this moment, I want to do nothing. He looked at me and said, okay, baby, so what you're going to do right now is you're going to do nothing. And when you're ready to do something, you're going to let me know. But until then, I'm going to take care of things. And it's okay. Fabulous. That's great. That was a a game-changing moment for me because it allowed me what would have taken me probably a few months if I was being pressured took me the period of, of a week. By right. the end of the week, I was like, I want to get up and get back at life because he had allowed me to be okay with being still. And that's all I needed. I just needed permission to be still for a moment. But you know and, and between him and Ri- Richard's support, because I have to give a shout out to Richard here too as my business partner who, who said exactly the same thing on exactly the same day without knowing that my husband had said it, um, between the two of them, I couldn't help but succeed right. at getting back to life. 
But Nikki, you know what else? That took a lot of courage for you to admit what you were really feeling. And so many people, especially in relationships, for some reason are fearful of expressing what they're really feeling. So by you being courageous and doing that, you gave your husband the opportunity to tell you what he was really feeling. And if you don't have the communication or the openness to be honest with each other, then nothing, in my opinion, from what I've seen in relationships, really succeeds. So the honesty is huge. It absolutely is, and our entire our entire relationship has been based on honesty right from day one. Mm-hmm. We built our relationship on this is who I am, and you can take it or you can leave it, but I'm at the point in my life where I, I don't have room to to try to change to meet somebody else's expectations. Right. And, and it, it redefined for me what love really is because that's when I really started to experience unconditional love in a romantic sense. I had experienced it through friendship. I have a friend who's been my best friend for 21 years who is the greatest teacher of unconditional love I've ever had. Mm-hmm. But I'd never had that in a romantic relationship before. And it has created, through that experience, just a really safe, peaceful home environment for our entire family. Uh Because now our kids can be who they are. Mm -hmm. And, And be honest about who they are. Because we have shown by example that that's okay. Yeah, that is so important. I that you set, I think, make a world of difference for generations to come. I really believe that. Um, it's just true to experience respect and honesty between couple. It's rare. That's what amazes me. So many of our friends just don't want to express anything with each other. Uh, they're afraid that someone will place judgment from one side of the relationship or the other. And it's so unfair to the relationship because they'd have such a great opportunity to be even more than what they are. Absolutely. Well, but like you said, uh, Brett, it, when you're open with your partner like that, then you give, you, you open that door for them. And, you, I think that that's the spot in, it's not so much whatever it is that happened that somebody doesn't want to be open about. It's the fact that they don't, they're not open about it. Their partner then doesn't have a chance to say, well, let's, you know, that's okay, or let's work on this, or let's do that, or whatever is their response. Because once any response is kept bottled up, it, it becomes ugly. Yeah, Exactly. Exactly. Now, we have such a great working relationship um, as individuals because you have to respect the individuality as well as the coupledom of the relationship. And I think that that honesty and that don't bottle up anything, and if one of us does, which someone always does, seems to repress something. The other one says, okay, you want to talk about it? So we help draw it out of each other. 
only because we might be processing it mentally and not really into expressing it yet. But the other one seems to know when the timing is right to pull it all out and and get into a discussion over what is bothering you. It's it's really quite amazing. Of course, we've been together for so long now, everything is pretty well synced between us. And um, he knows when I'm having a rough day that I really need to to just pull back a little, think about it, and then discuss it. And the other thing is, is you don't take anything personally because words slip out of mouths that aren't necessarily the real feeling. And when that happens, you got to pull back and look at it and say, what do you mean? And then express from there. It's all communication. It's, it's so true. We we do hold back every once in a while. And like I said, this is new to us. Um, so I'm, I'm curious if we could go back to, to the beginning for you two. <laughs> because you've both, well, you've both had these remarkable journeys and we haven't really gotten a chance to explore yours very much, Britt. But how did, how did you meet and how did those two paths intertwine? Because that well, seems to me to be very synchromistical. Like you were meant to be together. So I'm sure it's quite the story. I absolutely agree we were meant to be together. In fact, I would label it destiny. I was in LAX. I was returning from a ski trip. And Lee was in LAX, straight out of the jungle. Hadn't had a bath in oh, a couple of weeks. His hair was past his shoulders, bleach blonde. He was real tanned. And he was carrying spears and blow guns and had a monkey pouch hanging around his neck and looked like, you know, the wild man from Borneo. He looked like hell. And I was in line at a restaurant and it lived long, long line. And he came up behind me and he says, are you waiting to be seated? And I said, yeah. And he says, well, follow me. There was a table all the way back in the restaurant and he with his spears and his blowguns and looking like he did, uh, parted the Red Seas. I mean, everybody got out of his seat, <laughs> went right to the table. I thought, hmm, this is interesting. And I followed. <laughs> and we've been together since then. It's really quite amazing. But uh, it's it's so special to think of that because we were actually on the same plane back to Phoenix. And we both lived in Phoenix, and we're based out of Phoenix. And so there we were. And from that point on, we were together. And I got to tell you, he was not the nicest guy at that time. Oh, no, wait a minute. <laughs> 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 Busted! Consider the circumstances. <laughs> Just left headhunter country. <laughs> and my, it was funny because when I got into the airport, what happened was when I left, the hotel I was in for the first night before I came home, uh, they had no warm water. So I had a cold sponge bath, a little one, caught the plane the next day, flew to L.A. And the uh, problem was my eyes were moving everywhere. I was looking for movement. I was looking for a snake or a cat or something. He that was might... still in the jungle. <laughs> and I think the people, other than the way I was dressed and the way I looked and the trappings of war that I had with me, I think they were noticing the eye 
movement rate <laughs> and wondering what this crazy man was going to do next, you know. But anyway, when I first saw her, uh, God, it was electrical current went through my body. Most beautiful woman I'd ever seen in my Aww. life. <laughs> and uh, I wanted to meet her real bad. And uh, although I was, I was lacking social skills at that time, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I still managed to get her alone at a table where we could talk. And my first sentence, I spilled water all over me accidentally. <laughs> I was a klutz. And, uh, but anyway, everything worked out well for us. Yeah, that's, so that was our first meeting, and it was, I'm serious, he was, uh, of course, coming out of the jungle and looking in retrospect, you can really understand it. He was very arrogant. He was a chauvinist. He was all the things I detested, <laughs> and yet I could not get away from him, you know. Um, he was, he was curious to me. And but I didn't want to change him. I liked what I saw, even though it wasn't what I liked. <laughs> and I knew there was something deeper inside that had surfaced once he lost all of that exterior that he needed for what he was doing in South America. And of course, I found his adventures, you know, very sexy, very intriguing, very uh, romantic. How could you? For sure. Yeah. And so, you know, that was a big part of the conversation for a long time. And and then as we got to know each other better over the next few months, it was uh, understanding that his trips into South America were so deeply connected on a soul level, no matter what it was he was doing down there. It was important for him to explore that as it was as important for me to be doing other things in my life at the time. So there was almost an instant respect for where each of us was coming from. And that really kind of set everything into motion. We moved in together, lived together for years before we got married. Um, (laughs) My mother hijacked us one day and said... Okay, I've got two days open this year. What day do you guys want to get married? Yeah, I had no plans of marrying. And uh, Lisa's, well, February 14th. I can remember that date. (laughs) (laughs) So we were married on uh, Valentine's Day. And, you know, for people out there that are wondering whether or not they should get married and make that commitment, we had already made the commitment to each other. So it really was a matter of putting a name on a paper. But there is something about officially making that commitment that allows you to work harder to have a successful relationship, to be more open and responsive to your partner's needs, because it can't be just about you. And I, I, I so hear you on that. Um, although I call him my husband, we are not yet married, and we will be married eventually in a shamanic ritual. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I, what I hear from you is something that's, that's I, I really want to focus in on it, because it's important for people to understand Yes, he parted the Red Sea for you, um, which is very <laughs> awesome. And, and you know, here he comes to save the day. 
But the truth of the matter is, is when I listened to you both speak, you were both very whole and, and aware of self at this point. You did not need and you were not looking for somebody else to complete you. Absolutely. You already knew who you were. And I think that really is when people come to me and they, they, they ask me, how do I find that, that my other half? I tell them, well, you need to stop looking for your other half because your other half ain't out there. It's in here. Um, get whole first is always my first advice because it wasn't until I became a whole person that I found my perfect playmate, mm-hmm. my life mate. Uh, that's perfect, Nikki. That's so true because you have to have a sense of who you are. And then that's your foundation. And from where that is centered and based, you spring up with this whole garden of new experiences together. But you've got to have the foundation of who you are as an individual. That is huge. It's probably the biggest key of um, life, not just relationships. But you can't do anything in life until you really know who you are. Well, you heard it here first, folks, from Britt Elders herself. You must be whole first. Take notes. (laughs) There will be a test. Write that down. (laughs) 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 Well, we joke because we like to keep it. We we like to keep it light. Um, Laughter is indeed the best medicine for the soul, but it is so vitally important for people to understand that that the journey really is. Self first is not being selfish. Right. <laughs> we like to highlight that on a regular basis. Um, you you have to you have to take a long hard look in the mirror before you can really experience love at its deepest level. Yeah, you really have to get to a point where you can love you, and then you can have love for someone else. And it does require a serious inner work, internal work. Not just of the heart and the mind, but of the unity of the two with the soul in there. It's something that uh, is the totality of everything. At least that's what has always worked for me. Hallelujah. It works for me too. It took me years to figure it out. You know, I had the I had the seven years of marriage and the failed marriage and the the oh my goodness, what am I going to do now? And I don't want to be alone and 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 all of that tragedy and suffering that goes along with loss. But it's when I worked my way through all of that, wrote my first book, found out who I was, that a woman whose name happens to mean mean heaven. It is actually in both books, um, invited me to come live at her house, and her cousin was living in the basement. And, and there it was. Um, I wrote my second book while getting to know my life mate. Mm-hmm. Mm, he's actually in the book we wrote about him we we called him the demon because he is he's a bad boy and and you you touched on that because i didn't want to change him i was fascinated by him he wasn't what i wanted he wasn't what i needed or i thought he wasn't what i needed 
But it turns out he was. And at the core of this being that everybody looked at as the bad boy is this huge, massive heart. Right. And this deep soul and and spiritual knowledge of self and, and this intellectual aspect to this this man that his family to this day still doesn't see it. Oh. And I saw it right from day one. And people couldn't understand. And they still don't understand. They still don't get it. They don't get how good of a man this guy truly is. Mm-hmm. And it blows my mind. I can't understand how they can't see it, but it doesn't matter because, you know, it, it's cool. He's sharing his life with me, and, and that's It doesn't enough. matter because you can see it. That's right. I, I can see it. That's it. I can see it. I, I saw it right from the start. And, and as we've grown together, he's just blossomed and continued to, to blow my mind frequently. Like concepts that we'll discuss on the show, I'll toss them at him when he comes home. Because he's a truck driver, of all things now. He comes home on weekends, and I'll, I'll say, hey, we talked about this. And we'll get into these really deep conversations sitting on the sofa. <laughs> and he's, he's never written a book. He's never, you know, I mean, he's, never, he's, just, he's got a past. He's got a history. He used to be a biker. Right. People would look at him now with the tattoos and all that stuff and think, ah. But he has this massive heart in him. And and this knowledge and this wisdom, he's my go-to guy. That's great. If people only knew, really, how much strength and wisdom I get from conversations with my husband, it would blow their mind. Well, Nikki, don't you think, and I'm sorry, I take on an investigator role or an interviewer role myself quite often, but don't you think that the... uh, the facade, the the outside stuff. I mean, I found this with Lee. Is is not anywhere near what's really going on inside. But when you know yourself, when you are that whole being of yourself, you're less judgmental of all the exterior trappings. That's totally it. That's totally it. Because I had gotten to the point after writing my first book and, and writing about my personal history and accepting my history and accepting my faults and learning to love myself where how could I point the finger and judge? Right. And so I saw him with love because I had this appreciation for, for where, he w- where he had been, what he had been through, what he was doing in the moment and his dreams for the future. Yeah. And I could see that. And that's where the gold was. But it started with me learning to love me. Like you said, that was, I, I would never, never have connected with him on that level or learned to appreciate him as I do if I had not first learned to appreciate my own journey. Mm-hmm. Very true. Well, like I had said to you both earlier, I was very fortunate because uh, – my mother was intuitive. She was psychic. She saw dead people. Um, Yay, she, dead people. <laughs> yeah. And she had given me a book by Jess Stern and a book by Ruth Montgomery. Those were books that she gave me when I was eight years old. And she told me to read them. And she told me to always have an open mind and to question everything, but accept everything, too. 
because everyone had their own path to follow. So I was already on that path. This was something that was normal to me. I thought everybody had intuitive parents that knew what was going to happen, or heaven forbid you did anything wrong. She knew. Um, so, you know, it kind of kept you on the straight and narrow to a degree. But that's something that I was gifted with by her. My father gifted me with the belief that there was absolutely nothing in the world that would stop me if I really wanted to do something. It was up to me and no one else. So they put me on a search for myself that included my spiritual side. I I was actually encouraged to attend all different types of churches and religious ceremonies so I would understand what they were about. I, uh, my dad was a rocket engineer, literally worked with Werner von Braun on their missile projects. And so I had that gift of left brain reason and logic. And my mom, the intuitive, said, follow your heart. It'll never steer you wrong. So I was really on a path to figuring out who I was and what I was about when I met Lee. He had already made the determination to leave the social society structures of what people should be doing with their lives and wander out on his own. And when we got together, then we just had this wonderful foundation of who we were as individuals. And we were able to help accent and assist the other one however they needed it. it. It's really, truly amazing looking back on it because I don't think there are that many people that really want to help the other partner be who they are. They're often, just, statement. They're often just too busy trying to help them be who they think they should be. Uh, true. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> once, had a, exactly. once had a young lady, I said, we were talking and I said something like, what, what are you talking about? You're going to train me? And, and, and uh, she was in a whole other country over in Europe and she said, well, not from here. <laughs> and I thought, oh, boy, i got to go. <laughs> Run! <laughs> no, but that's part of why I say I think Lee and I were destined to be together. Because uh, I, I don't know very many women that would have said, oh, you've got to go back to the jungle? Okay, here, I'll help you pack. Um, <laughs> and mint it with love rather than, I'll get rid of you. You know, that type of attitude. So it's it's something we have really been blessed with. Um, I travel quite a bit with Shirley and in other things and by myself. And he is so supportive of anything I want to do. It's it's a mutual admiration society that's pretty damn strong. That's for sure. And can, can we talk about that for a second? Because... This is an important one because people think that, that my husband's nuts to have let me just take off to Costa Rica with Richard last year when Richard and I had never actually met in person. We'd worked together for two years online. We'd never met in person, and we decided we were going to go do some remote shows on location in Costa Rica, and um, we were going to meet for the first time, and I was going by myself to meet him, and we were going to meet in Houston. My husband didn't even bat an eye. He was like, yeah, go. Have fun. It's good. Enjoy. People thought he was crazy. But I want to talk about that because you have to allow your partner to be 
who they are and to have their own experiences. You cannot hover every minute of the day and, and try to manipulate or to own their personal journey. That's it's right. not good for your soul. It's not good for their soul. So how is it that you two are able, and I want to hear from both of you on this, like, how does it feel, Lee, being a man, to know that your your wife is gallivanting all over everywhere, meeting, <laughs> you know, people like Obama and stuff? And um, he's a good-looking guy. And how come you're not threatened, sir? You know, that's what people ask when when my husband tells them what I do. So I'm curious. I want to hear from you guys who've had this 40 years of experience. How do you how do you deal with that? Well, with me, it's simple. It begins with trust and respect for my mate here. And she's not just my wife. She's my soul mate. Uh, I call her Trooper all the time. Uh, (laughs) Anywhere I want to go, I say, okay, Trooper, ready to go? She's packing her bags. So when she goes off to Brazil or wherever, Shirley's making an appearance because Shirley insists that she go with her uh, Britt is more or less Shirley's foundation these days, and a good friend. We've been friends a long, long time. But I have no qualms with that. I just say, go, man, have a good time. Just make sure you call me every now and then. Let me know what's happening. And that's the trust and respect we have each other, for each other. And, and I think that is so important in a relationship, because if you don't have that, then you've got problems, uh, you know, and we've never had a problem with that. We love yeah. each other. We respect each other. And I think about all the times and all the journeys I've had when she wasn't with me uh, before we ever met. I mean, I was traveling all over the world. So I look at it, okay, fine. I'm getting a little bit tired of traveling now. <laughs> but if she wants to go, why not? I had that experience. I want her to have the same experience. You know, Nikki, I think uh, that right there is the big key. If you want the freedom to be who you are as an individual, you have to be allowing on all counts for the other party in the relationship. I couldn't say that I would have the freedom I have or that Lee would have the freedom he has if either one of us said, oh, you shouldn't do that. Or it became an issue of allowing, okay, I'll allow you to go. Nothing like that happens because you have to be able to express yourself as individuals to make that relationship whole. So by him taking off when he has, after we were together, into the jungle... I didn't know how long he was going to be gone, but I knew that he was going to be okay, and I knew I was going to be okay, and I knew beyond anything I had to be supportive of him if I wanted that same part of the experience in our relationship for me. That's absolutely beautiful. And, and just, you know, f- for our listeners who are listening tonight, what you're hearing really is, is the foundation of a really good, solid, lifelong friendship. 
Yeah. I mean, we can talk about the romantic aspects of it and the sexuality, hoo-hahs, and all that stuff, but it starts with the friendship, and that's what you guys have. So so for our listeners and for those who are, are still looking, that's what you're looking for. Find your best friend. My mother always said that. If you're going to get married, marry your best friend. And I missed it the first time. But I got it the second time. <laughs> okay. That counts. <laughs> well, everybody gets I a mulligan. I wasn't listening, Mom, but I am now. It's okay. I'm sorry. Um, you know, I have but to, that's it. to tell you something here that, that when you said that, I flashed on. We were in Japan. We were working with a production house over there, and our book, one of our books was being published there. And we were doing a television show, a live television show. And, of course, we're in a Japanese audience. Neither one of us speak any Japanese. But they had Lee stand up. The camera was on him in this massive audience. And they said... Uh, we had translators. Yeah, we, we did have a translator stood up behind us and translated everything. But he's, the question was, Lee, who is with you? And it was me. And Lee's response was, my best friend, my wife and my soulmate. And the Japanese went, oh, you know, the whole audience. It was it's fine. Because so many people don't realize that in order to have a really strong relationship with anyone, spouse, partner, whatever, it has to be based in friendship. You're absolutely right. Well, in that respect, too, that that we're both whole people that are choosing to come together, you you lose that pressure of sort of feeling like you've got to entertain the other one. Or right. you've you got to check and make sure you've made them happy first, and then you can see about something else. And, you know, it, it, it's such a pressure, really. When you when I look back on it, my first relationship was one of those, you know, I'll make you happy, you make me happy, which you don't do that, people, really. Right. Um, <laughs> not, it's not a good idea. Um, <laughs> one ends but, up being the servant. Right, and, and, and standing on your head backwards to try to make the other one happy, and, and you know, it, 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 it ends up being more of a master-pet relationship, really. <laughs> True. But it, uh, it, it, that's another element of that freedom to me in, is, you know, I know that they're going to be okay. And, uh, you know, people were amazed at my father because, like I said, about the last 12 months of my mother's life, I don't think he left her side um. because she became agitated if he did. If, she, if he was out of her sight or not able to get there pretty quickly if she called for him, um, she would start to freak out even if she had caregivers all around her. And, and um, so he just said, okay, well, she needs me here. I'll be here. And then, I don't know, within a year of her passing, he was seeing somebody, you know. Uh-huh. Well, and, and going to football games and dances. And, well, of course he was. And mom would have oh, expected that. And, and, you know, uh and and blessed all of it because, you know, he was doing what he was doing when he was doing it, and now it's time to, you know, whew, got that, go have some fun. Let's go dancing, something. Yeah. And um, 
And my I sisters had a. Saying the people were mortified, though. Your family oh, my was sisters, mortified. My sisters had a horrible time with it at first. You know <laughs> that what is he? What is he doing? And how dare he? Yeah, hmm. and and to me, to have had the the sixty three years that they had, they had to be the sort of people that that would be the case. I okay. never would have thought that if Dad went first, that Mom would have you know sat in the corner and worn black. That's just silly. And um, of course, Dad never would have gone first because Mother said, "If you die, if you die first, I'll kill you." <laughs> but um, uh, it there was always that you know. Well, what do you think he's you know somebody would he'd be late from somewhere or something would be weird. And, well, what do you think he's doing? She's like, I'm probably trying to get here. <laughs> what? <laughs> it just was not part of their universe because. It, why, you know? Um, so it is, I think, a tremendous gift to the other to be able to say, "Listen, you know, I'm going to be okay over here, so you don't have to, you know, try and figure out how to save me before I fall or whatever." Right. Mm-hmm. That's really an important point. It's very important. You have to, uh, and that I guess is part of the being allowing thing. Allowing that other person, if they're going to stumble, that's their stumble on their path that they need to experience for whatever reason. Um, You can try to talk them through it, be there to help, put your hand out to help them back up. But there's not one of us on this planet today that hasn't stumbled and fallen. And you got to be allowing of that. That has to happen. Otherwise, we don't progress very much. Very, very true. So Yes, yes, absolutely. We approach that time yet again to uh, have a oh, musical time? break. Is it break time? It's break time. Okay. Um, I don't know what can music we play we She's a Miracle play. Walking? We can I play. Think that that's kind of appropriate. She's a case. Miracle Walking? Absolutely. Because she is, isn't um, she? Absolutely. They both Aren't are. Aren't you all? <laughs> they both are. Um, and... Um, at least in, in, in today's, hopefully we'll get back to where you just assume everyone's whole and it's the oddball that's not. Um, <laughs> but in the, mean, in the meantime, we'll celebrate with uh, our dear friend Ina V uh, with her song, She's a Miracle Walking. Um, may just be Miracle Walking. We gotta, I gotta, one of hers I've been saying the wrong name. But anyway, this is Ina V with her beautiful song and we'll be right back. Down the roads of learning Up and through 
Welcome back, everybody. Again, that was our friend Ina V uh, with her song, She's a Miracle Walking, or Miracle Walking, or her song that's good over there, <laughs> Ina V. At, at www. All her songs are good. That, beautiful stuff. www.enavie.com. Or, of course, you can just go to our website and type in Ina V in search, and you can hear because she came on the show. And we had fun with Ina and Howard. Oh, had a blast with Ina had a great and Howard. Time. Absolutely. What a story, those two. Ah. Yeah, we've been blessed to have some really cool couples come on and, and talk about being a couple. You know, this, that should be everybody's first hint, right? It's not, be, it's not we're, we're being a one, us two halves. It's be a couple. That takes two, I think. Mm-hmm. But it does. It's just, but, that's but just never me have on we that had one. But we, we've never had a couple come on after 40 years of marriage. And that's why tonight's so special for me, because it's, it's kind of taking everything that we know to be a truth, and they've lived it. Well, and of course, it's and been one of those fully. interminable 40 <laughs> years of, you know, just like Beaver Cleaver, they spent every night at home and read the newspaper. And, <laughs> well, actually, that could happen. Yeah, not really. Huh? Um, <laughs> because you mentioned earlier, you... you uh, we're asking Nikki a question, and that's why we call this conversational format instead of interview, because we, we bounce back and forth like that. But you said, I have a tendency to fall into the investigator and, and interviewer role, and as we heard about that you had a radio show, so there's the interviewer thing. But what about this investigator thing? I, just, I think Lee said something about oh. investigations, <laughs> and, 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 and because it turns out that you've done some rather interesting investigations together. We're talking about that you have to be two individuals in this, but you've done some really interesting work together. Yes, we have. We, sure we, have. we work together very well and often. Um, I think the investigation that you're referring to began back in 1978 when a lieutenant colonel asked us to put our company, Intercept, which is the electronic countermeasure, behind a UFO investigation. And uh, we did. We talked about it for a while and, and decided, okay, this is something that doesn't get explored very often, and we jumped in with both feet. And, uh, yes, I, I might add that uh, we were very open to it. Uh, I had had a sighting prior to ever going down to, going to Switzerland to investigate this man, but uh, our lieutenant colonel friend from the Air Force had spent many years in Air Force intelligence. He had done a lot of investigations for the government. When he retired, they sort of shut him out of the loop. And he couldn't get back into their loop, so he formed his own. He started collecting, oh, a lot of data, a lot of photographs, a lot of material. He was on the cutting edge of it when I met him. And then this uh, contact case appeared uh, in Switzerland. And uh, like Britt said, he asked us if we would throw our, my company, our company, into the fray. Well, we did. We went there. But the, the problem with the case, in my mind, when I first arrived, was it had too much good information, <laughs> too much hard evidence. And the photographs were so outstanding, we'd never seen anything like these before. So I, I immediately thought, well, how is this guy hoaxing it? So my first... Right, it's a little too good to be true, almost. So. Too good to be true. <clears throat> but after spending countless days 
at, on the farm where the man lived. We lived in a small trailer right next to him, right next to the house. We observed him. We, we investigated the, the cellars. We looked for anything that might uh, show how he was making models or rigging certain apparatus to take the photographs. We couldn't find anything. So now I'm leaning towards, my gosh, if this is true, this is unbelievable. And so that's how it started. Well, I've got to tell you, it was really funny because Lee went in with the attitude, like I said, we had a, an electronic countermeasure firm, and that is called Intercept, and it's a company that we consult with now, but don't do hands-on work for anymore. But Intercept, uh, an electronic countermeasure, is checking people's telephones and computer lines to make certain they weren't being bugged. And we had the top company west of the Mississippi, and we were doing Fortune 500 companies on a regular basis. Lee thought, yeah, this stuff is too good to be true. I don't buy it. Let's go take a look. I, on the other hand, went the other direction. Coming from my background where my dad was involved, like I said, with the missile projects early um, and a very open mother, I thought, hey, this is great. Let's go play. <laughs> so we had opposite views going in and yet both of us had to put the investigator hat on and really dig no matter what our personal opinions were because you do have to separate those and it became amazing we were involved investigating this case for five years we made oh i can't even remember how many trips we made You're to switzerland. Living in switzerland yeah uh, sometimes for six, seven weeks at a time. We saw remarkable things. We interviewed witnesses, uh, the family. I mean, we were part of the family. We were living right there at the farmhouse. And in the end, it became easier to say, let's gather the information, which had come from various labs all over the world because we had this material, the photographs, the movie footage, the sound recordings of the spacecraft, things like that had been analyzed everywhere. And we said it's easier to put it out there and let people make their own decision. It's not for us to judge. And that was how we got into the investigative side of UFOs. But it was a, really, you talk about the first case that you really ever got involved with. This was a magnificent case. It had everything. I was going to say, you guys didn't start small with your no, investigation because this no, was... No. <laughs> There's no normal in our life. <laughs> I've seen normal. It's not, it sounds boring. I'm going to try something else. And, uh, of course, when you hiccup and, with somebody you that you, run, in, you that. run into in the airport with, you know, spears and blowguns, you've got to think it's probably not going to be just average. But... <laughs> But, you know, you said this case and the evidence or the cutting edge, the, I mean, even the idea of Intercept, this was, I guess you guys formed Intercept in like 1976? Right. Yes. And, and, and really, electronic surveillance has only sort of become a big catchphrase and issue of, of late. I mean, it, people talked about it a lot. You know, there was Nixon with tapes and this and that. But uh -huh. um, um, so electronic countermeasures because somebody might be able to eavesdrop on our computers was certainly right out there on the leading edge too. And, um, but I find that an interesting balance that 
that sort of Lee went in with, okay, this is too good to be true, and you know we'll use our detecting abilities to find how they've done this, and and um, and you went in to go to go see. Well, this is interesting. Let's go see about this, because that healthy skepticism is, you know, we 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 skepticism has taken a bad name, I think, in the modern world because when people think of skeptics, what they're generally going to get on TV when you say skeptic is somebody that is, in my opinion, obstinate. They're they're almost blind. They won't look at anything that doesn't agree with what they think. That's not skeptical uh, to me. Skeptical is just healthy questioning of, you know, it, like you said, this is the 70s and... Um, you know, when I was 13 in 1976, had just had one of my first trips to Europe. And, I was one. Um, <laughs> All right, Nikki. <laughs> so, so I was bouncing around some and watching what was going on, and 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 uh, I found UFOs to be interesting. And but so it was all so sketchy. You know, it was because I mean, what it's not like now where everybody had a high definition camera on their belt. Right. You, you, you know, let me run and get my movie camera. You got to be sure you got film. You got to load it. You got to wind it. There's, there's no aliens in the universe. Have patience to wait. <laughs> um, and yet, this case had film and record audio and and still photographs and and um, that, my first reaction was that's got to be a model. That's those are two. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, but. Um, there has to be something to it because it's still around, and there's been so many good, open-minded, skeptical experts that have gone in and looked at this evidence and not been able to do anything except, like you say, well, here it is. We we came to sort of to see if we could punch a hole in it, and we didn't find one, so here. Yeah, over a period of five years, we couldn't punch a hole in it, and we had it at labs like uh, JPL. Had the photographs at JPL. Uh my moment of truth on the case really came when he gave us metal specimens. He said that the Pleiadians, this was the group he claimed he was meeting with from the star system of the Pleiades, he said they had given him metal specimens and uh, to prove that uh, he did have the events that he said he was having. Well, we finally found a lab in this country, in the U.S., that was willing to look at them, and that was uh, IBM. IBM, up in San Jose, Dr. Marcel Vogel. What? Uh huh. Yeah. Well, that's the science no of the way. '70s. Nobody will look at it if it Nobody doesn't agree. Will. No, no. The first thing they want to know is where did you get them? Yeah. And you either had to lie to them, <laughs> say, "Well, we just found them somewhere," or you had to tell them the background to the metal itself. Once you told them the background, uh, they were not interested. Now, one of the big problems back then was uh, many of these government labs or or these laboratories had government sponsorship, and uh, they were following the protocol. They didn't want to lose any sponsorship. They didn't want to create any waves with with the government side. So they just refused to uh, look at them. We had the same problem occur uh, at uh, 
Boeing Labs. Boeing Labs in Seattle. in Seattle when we took in the uh, sounds. He, he uh, Billy Meyer had recorded uh, sounds from the spacecraft on his tape recorder. We had like five different segments. We took them to Boeing to have them analyze it. And we had to pay to get in for their equipment and for time with the scientists looking at it. And unfortunately, we had a camera crew with us that day. And on the side of the camera, they had put UFO story. (laughs) And one of the security guards saw that. And he came running with other security guards. And they told us to leave the premise immediately. And we said, hey, we paid for the time. We would like to. And they said, no, we can't do it. So these were the problems we were looking at in the 70s, trying to get real good analysis work done on this hard evidence. And it was very, very difficult. But we did luck out because uh, the Naval Station, Groton, Connecticut, analyzed the sounds. And they came back to us and said, oh, my gosh, we don't have anything in our sound bank that matches this. So they were real curious about it. And like I said, there were so many different labs. Uh, Scripps Institute took a look at things. Ames Research, um, MIT. It was just, I mean, we were hitting every major lab there was. And most of them, fortunately, had at least one person in their organization that had a fairly open mind and was willing to look. So we did get quite a bit of information from it. And I started to say earlier, uh, my moment of truth on the case really came with the metal specimens. Uh, Dr. Vogel up at uh, San Jose was open to it, uh, to the fact that uh, it might be UFO related. And he was one of the few in the country at that time that had a scanning electron microscope. Now, the others were in government labs, but Vogel had a, he had a special arrangement with uh, IBM. IBM because he had uh, personally invented a lot of different techniques and different protocols that IBM would use. So they set up his own private lab, and we took it to him, and he started his work. <clears throat> and what he found was the metal contained a bonding technique that was impossible to duplicate uh, with our present-day technology at that time. It was a cold fusion process where you had pure mineral on top of pure mineral and then a layer of crystal and then pure mineral again. What we had to do at that period of time was heat things and basically melt them together in order to get a, a bonding of any type. This was a cold fusion process, and it was something we couldn't do until we developed the space shuttle. And now they they can do that in zero space. Right. But back then they couldn't do that. So he was finding this grouping of different, like crystal, different type of minerals and so forth, isolated within themselves in the metal structure or the specimen, which meant there was no uh, heating I mean, how do you melt something together without heat? Without it being melted. (laughs) Right, right. 
And it's interesting, too, that we've now only been able to duplicate it in zero gravity. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So that really opened the door. Uh, Vogel got behind the case, and... uh, and other labs started to get behind it. JPL was taking a look at the photographs at the time. And so the case really took off. And uh, this was years. It took years to do this. But uh, Britt and I and our associates, I mean, we were patient. <laughs> <laughs> we were patient, and our patience paid off. We got answers to our questions, and really... It's up to every individual out there to to do their own investigation and find out what their knowledge structure is. I won't say belief because that's too random. You have to end up knowing something to be true. And on that particular case, when we ended concluded our investigation in 1983, I would say that I knew at least 98% knew that the case was real. Absolutely. We had uh, we'd ruled out any type of faking. Uh, the zero gravity really got to us. That really was heavy. The, spa- the spacecraft sounds... Uh, well, it, it kind of leaves you with, with no options, the zero gravity <laughs> cold fusion thing, really, because you've got one of two options there. Now, either it's from the future where zero-gravity fusion exists, or it's from space, where zero-gravity fusion exists. So, I mean, take your pick, but either way, you're going to challenge your current paradigm. Right. This is just (laughs) a tad. Just a tad. You put it together very beautifully there. (laughs) You're absolutely correct. And then after the Meyer case, we, uh, uh, we were contacted by a... Mexican journalist named Jaime Malsan, who had uh, come in contact with one of our books that we published on the Meyer case. And Mexico at that time was just starting to have what we in the, in, in the UFO business call a flap, a UFO flap. And he contacted us to invite us to Mexico to work with him in the uh, preliminary stages of the events taking place there. And we did. We went down. We became very good friends with him. And we were there from day one all the way up through. Oh, well, we're still involved. (laughs) We're still involved. When we got there, they had like, I think, six videos. That was it. And uh, today he's probably got three or four or five thousand. Good videos. Good videos. He's probably got 20,000 that aren't as good, but these are clear good videos. Yeah. And he would go on television. He had his own t- television show. He was he was labeled the Dan Rather of Mexico. Everybody looked up to him. Uh, he was an honest journalist. He went after the corrupt in his country, which there were many. He had to have bodyguards, but he survived all those years. But when he came in contact with the Meyer case, it changed his whole personality. It changed his whole way of thought. And being an investigator like ourselves... Uh, the curiosity got to him. He had to find out what was going on. And uh, he started his own investigations. He set up uh, night watch programs. He set up the vigilante group they call themselves. He'd have about 30, 40 people, men and women, 
with camcorders who would go out in the city in different parts of the city and watch the skies. And they were getting some incredible video. And uh, so we went down and assisted him in that investigation. And it's still ongoing. It's still happening today. Yeah, pretty... Uh, wow. I, That's all I got to say, because I didn't know. I didn't we, know. We have this That's game we play, and, 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 and I get to have fun because... I know what she doesn't know before the interview, <laughs> and uh, she had no idea about the Billy Myers. It's my job not or... to know. I have to put it out there so that nobody gets mad at me. But it's literally like it's my job to bring the listener perspective. I'm not supposed to know anything about you before you come on the show, <laughs> and that's hard to do with you, Britt. I just want to put that out there. But it, I didn't know this. So yeah, you just blew my mind. Congratulations. Oh, <laughs> Mind blown. We're having fun in the background. Mind blown. Um, but it is. It, it, I was one of those geeky kids. I, had, I, I literally I had a pocket protector for several years at school. And, um, and I always watched the Billy Meyer stuff with great interest because it just seemed different than so much of the you know, UFO crazy that would right. that would come through and some of it perhaps not crazy but very very often it was simply a case of somebody had an account of something that happened there was yeah. no evidence there was no photos there was no nothing except somebody saying this is what happened to me and I'm not calling any of them liars right. but uh, as far as you know there was nothing to investigate you know except maybe character assassination and um, and here there was all of this evidence and and watching, you know, mainstream opinion people just sort of dismiss it out of hand without <laughs> some curiosity. And I was like, that's not science. That's, mm-hmm. Science is one of the most curious, supposed to be one of the most curious, what is that? How'd that happen? Absolutely. Yeah, and, exactly. Why? And uh, so I always thought that was really interesting, the way that, and it's interesting to hear you tell the story that there were so many labs that just wouldn't even, they wouldn't even talk to you when you speak to you. And um, as soon as they found out, you know, what well, UFO? What? No, out. Mm. Crazy. Oh, well, out. Yeah, and, UFO had a bad. Uh, it was a bad word. I mean, it had uh, because of the UFO cover-up goes went back in the 40s and 50s. Uh, people associated anything with a UFO as somebody being, you know, crazy, or, or demonic, or, or demonic, or a hoaxer. Fooled by weather balloons or something. Right. Yeah, yeah like Roswell. And <laughs> it really, I suppose, if you're wanting to be comfortable in your little box, uh, it is, at least at that time, was comforting to believe that it was just a balloon and those people are just crazies. Right. Because it's rather paradigm shifting to come to the evidence that, look, this just has to be. Yeah, but I don't, can, can we go here just for a minute? I don't understand how, when we look out into the vastness of our universe, how it is we could ever manage to convince ourselves that we are alone. Bravo. I just, I can't fathom that concept. It seems impossible to me for that to be a, a reality or truth. And I mean, that's not getting into, even getting into my own interesting encounters, which I'm probably going to write about someday. But 
it just you 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 look out there and and see the vastness of all that is and if you truly understand the amazing concept of our creator and our creation who's this really to me this massive curious being that just wants to experience everything well if you want to experience everything then you have to experience it in as many expressions Mm-hmm. of physical beingness as possible, which means there simply has to be a multitude of diverse beings, races, cultures out there that we haven't yet encountered. And as far as I'm concerned, the only reason they haven't landed and said, hey, we're here, is because we can't figure out how to get along with ourselves yet. So <laughs> what's going to happen when they land? We're just going to shoot them. And they know that. I I agree. I think uh, it's arrogant to think that we're the only beings out there and the creator would have limited his scope of this amazing beauty we call life to this one little planet. But I, (laughs) I also agree with you wholeheartedly that we have to learn how to deal with ourselves before we can invite anybody else in. I think they're watching. I think they're... Of course, we hear it all the time. Come, come, save us! Why? Why would they do that? They might come and and talk to some of us occasionally and give us messages and give us wisdom and help us out and allow us to pass that on through our creativeness, right. i.e., movies, books, whatever we manage to put out there Even for fiction. the world yeah. to see. If if you yeah, well, you know, if you look at some of the greatest movies of our time, come on, really? You're telling me that that's not inspired by some kind of communication? Mm-hmm. It, the, the truth of it is, but they, of course they're watching. And we have to do this on our own. There's there's like this unwritten law out there in the universe that it's, you're not allowed to interfere with a fledgling race. Right. We just don't do it. It's not done. It's against well, the rules. I'll give you a classic example. We were in Italy, and Lee was being interrogated, really. It was a newspaper interview. But the the woman journalist got on his case and said, well, if they're here, then why won't they come save us? Why don't they cure cancer? Why don't they take care of our energy problems? Why don't they teach us how to feed ourselves? And Lee said, you know, we created these problems. We need to find our way out of them. He's being very mellow. And she says, you're a fascist. <laughs> and that was the oh, only thing yeah. And that's, unfortunately, the view that so many people take. They need to come save us from ourselves. It's not fair. <laughs> and why would they? Yeah, I mean, really. I wouldn't. <laughs> no. I wouldn't. And and um, and you know, come on, people, you show up and you orbit around the planet, and you oh, there's these waves, and oh, look, it's TV. Oh yeah. wow, they're all shooting each other. Yeah. Okay, we'll come back in a while. We're going to go over here. Yeah. Think about this logically, okay? You you spent a millennia. Your race has spent a millennia creating a peaceful, prosperous environment in which to exist, okay? And now you've taken that peace out into the universe. You're exploring it. 
you're seeing new things and it's wonderful and it's exciting. But why would you, after spending millions of years evolving to the point where you are at total peace and abundance is just a way of life, miracles happen every day, and then drop yourself onto a planet that can't even feed their children. Right. Why would you do that? Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't but, make sense. But you might watch. That's it could be some of the best. It's not logical. You know, best oh, reality yeah, television be going. You know, yeah, best <laughs> exactly. <laughs> They're like, you won't believe what they did now. But <laughs> um, uh, it's yep. um, right. I, I've wondered really since since the 80s, but certainly since the 90s, how it is that it, it just isn't, because it's just the biggest open running joke, I think, among really intelligent people, that there's there's something in there in the records. Let's just dump it all out on the table and see what happens. Right. And and um, uh, because it's the, the the information is out there for some really dramatic you know, cases, and, and certainly the Billy Meyer case is one of them, and, and then this stuff down in Mexico is huge. Mm. Um, and, uh, of course... There are so many. I mean, even the people that are just having experiences and don't have the physical evidence to back up what they're saying, again, and this goes to relationships, you have to get to a point of understanding that that individual's truth is their truth. Absolutely. And it's okay. You don't have to judge it. If we get there, pitched my book. they might land, okay? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it, 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 it is, because it... it or people. Uh, <laughs> Humans are awesome, but really... But really, um, sometimes, <laughs> come on now, and and uh, uh, they make you go. Hmm. Yeah, fascinating choice that you just won't look over there, and and That's because the, the even the like you say the the accounts with all these all these people, they there's too many for it to be some kind of mass hallucination. It's Absolutely. just I don't care what explanation or explain it away thing they want to do. There's just too much, and. So why they won't just sit down and say, okay, let's take a look at this and see what we can do, as opposed to just, that's not, because they're still trying to, some of them, so many of them, follow that, you know, we don't talk about that, that's for, not. For a large part, I mean, if you, if you want to discuss why, if I, <laughs> just, just putting it out there, if I were one of the quote-unquote powers to be, and no, I don't believe in they, and you all know that, all of our regular listeners know that, there is no they, there's only us, um, but if it were up to me at this point in our history, in our recent history, now certainly times have changed and, and I might rethink it in, in, in our present moment, like right now today, but in our recent history, if I were in power and I had that information, I might be a bit hesitant to release it as well, simply because humankind wasn't ready for that kind of exposure and that kind of truth on a large scale it could actually in the past create mass panic as we've seen expressed in mass media in film that has the potential to happen however we are 
on the verge of, of a massive, no, we're in a massive shift of awareness, of consciousness. The world is changing on such a large scale. I mean, we talk about it every day on our morning show. Look at what's going on right now. People are waking up on a mass scale. Now is the time when we are on the verge of being ready. So, of course, all this stuff is starting to come to light, and it's perfectly acceptable that it would come in this time because we are ready for it. But in the past, we weren't. I don't think we were. I think it would have destroyed us. It would have terrified us. Well, you have to take baby steps. Mm -hmm. And I think the baby steps now have us to the point where we're capable of standing on our own. Um, And there are forever going to be people that don't get it, don't want to look at it, or even acknowledge it. That's okay, too. That's okay. Yeah. But, you know, we ran into a whole different scenario when we uh, went in on the Mexico case. And that is the camcorder had changed everything by then. Mm -hmm. You had, oh, you had thousands of people. Uh, I think just about every Mexican down there owns a camcorder because they're family-oriented. They love to take family pictures and birthdays and Thanksgivings and things like that. But they all have them. And they were recording these objects in the sky on a daily basis. And to the point where the hard evidence just started to overwhelm everything. And, of course, through Jaime's television show, he was releasing this information. And the Mexican people embraced it. Oh, totally. Totally different than in this country. You could hardly find any information on what was happening in Mexico uh, in this country unless you tuned in the sightings. We worked with sightings on as associate producers on seven segments. Right. And those segments were all on Mexico. And that was only released in the United States. But in Mexico, everybody's talking about it. Everyone's looking up. There, there was no fear. They're not going to attack us. They're not going to eat us. They were curious. You want to hear a funny story? We were, yes. I like <laughs> funny stories. We were filming with the Japanese film crew in Mexico at a place called Casita Blanca near Mount Popocatépetl, which is an active volcano. And so first we went to the mayor of this little town, well, 100,000 people, called Atlisco. And we asked the mayor, do you think that extraterrestrials are visiting? And he said, oh, yes. And we said, do you think they're negative? Do you think they're positive? Which are they? He says, well, if they wanted to take us over, they could have done that a long time ago. So that set the tone for everything that happened that night. We went to this location, Casita Blanca, and we're setting up cameras, getting ready to film. On a hill, out in the middle of nowhere. The reason we were there is because all of the people said they would gather and watch the UFOs come in on a nightly basis. So before long, these trucks start arriving, cars start arriving, kids are running up the hill, men carrying coolers full of beer, um, (laughs) a family carrying grandma up in her chair to the top of the hill, and they all are having this huge party waiting for the UFOs to arrive. There had to be several hundred to a thousand people sitting on top of that hill. And when it arrived, and our cameraman from Japan got it, 
When it arrived, they all started cheering and applauding. It was absolutely remarkable. The people were so thrilled with what was going on. It was just fabulous to watch. But isn't that the difference, though, Britt? Because you've traveled a lot. Both of you have traveled a lot. So isn't that the difference between Western mentality or first world, quote, unquote, mentality and third world or second world mentality? They're chilling over there. You know, that's been my experience. They have a vast appreciation for all that is life. And they live in that attitude of gratitude. In fact, that is their entire existence. They are just grateful Mm -hmm. to be. And they express that through everything that they do. So they would open, you know, throw open their arms wide and big open hearts and welcome anybody new in because that's a new experience. That's something to celebrate, of course. But then in Western culture, we're all so afraid that they're going to come and take something from us. But (laughs) the truth is, they've been here for so bloody long that as the... As the gentleman said, if they wanted to take something, they would have done it a long time ago. Right. That's absolutely right. right. Absolutely right. We're so steeped in fear in the Western world. Um, And I think a lot of our problems is arrogance, too. Yeah. We think we're better than other countries. Otherwise, why do we pry into their affairs (laughs) so much? But uh, I think arrogance, I know arrogance played a big role with Meyer case with some of these scientists. They were so arrogant about the fact that, oh my gosh, it would take them 3,000 years to travel from the Pleiades to the U.S. or to the planet Earth and not taking into consideration that their (laughs) physics are totally unknown to us. They operate on a different level when it comes to physics. So anyway. And that, that that entertains me, but but it's an absolute truth. Um, see, I get to plug my book again. I'm going to do that. Shameless self-promotion. Shameless self-promotion. Um, self-promotion. The biggest life-changing experience I've ever had was when I went to the Philippines, wrote my first book, and it was about my experience in this third world country where these people who had so much less than I had been taught was normal, yet they had an abundance of joy. And they changed my life forever. I will never be the same. It is thanks to them that I am who I am. It was absolutely one of the most amazing experiences I've ever had. Other than the birth of my daughter, potentially the most amazing experience I've ever had. And I have to say that they taught me so much about life in a really short time that I could have never learned living here. And there went the ego, because I, I really didn't know. I didn't know until I went there, and I talked to these, quote-unquote, uneducated people from the provinces in the Philippines. And then I, I started to really see and understand. And that, to me, was like a life-changing aha moment because then yeah. I realized the real wisdom is in the heart. It has nothing to do with wealth. It has nothing to do with status. It has nothing to do with title. It has nothing to do really with education mm-hmm. because they knew more about life than, than people here who have been going to university for, for 10, 20 years. 
and have multiple degrees. And it goes back to appreciation. Um, they appreciate life. They appreciate each other. They respect yes. the experiences of others. They may not agree with them. That's okay. You can get in some wonderful discussions with people that disagree with you, but it doesn't mean Absolutely. that anybody comes out with a right or wrong answer. So it's it's a different way of viewing and experiencing life that I find more fulfilling than what we have going here because they take the, the, the time really to live it. One of the greatest terms I've heard about uh, the extraterrestrials when I was in Ecuador searching for the emerald mine, I was uh, working with some Kingari Indians and I asked them one day if they ever see, see anything strange in the sky. And they started uh, really telling me a lot of stories about their UFO experiences, but they referred to them as the Hermanos del Cielo, their brothers from the sky. And I thought that was the greatest oh. term I've ever heard. And That's these awesome. people are really indigenous types, but to, to them, they were brothers. There was nothing to be afraid of. I don't know why we're afraid. I think we like to be afraid. We've ingrained that in ourselves, that we need to be fearful of anything we don't understand when most of life we don't understand. <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> that's my two cents. Well, it's a comfortable illusion, again, that we sort of have things under control. And, you know, these economists know what's going on with this. Yeah. And the, the, Come on now, there's just, you it's couldn't easy. track the inventory in all the stores in New York City reliably with an economist. And you think they understand the world economy? They haven't got a clue. They've got some <laughs> guesses, and um, it, it. Oh, really? These guys can't even figure out that raising minimum wage is actually going to help the economy. So let's, the, the, let's be realistic. The, they they have some they have some stuff to work out. Yeah, yeah. So the amount really of every moment of every day that's just so uncertain is you know people just need to get over it. But um, it it does make you wonder sort of where does that come from? Because I can't believe that. Humans have always been that way, or we never would have found out anything. We'd still be in the corner okay. of some cave somewhere. And, and so it's a learn. We picked it up somewhere along the trail. I don't know how we did that. But um, I, I don't know. Hellfire and damnation well, think, could have been involved. But I think we did it so that we could have the experience of coming out of it. I really do. That's why I don't get... That's why I don't get stressed about it anymore. I used to get really angry, and how could they think that way? Rawr. Who are they, anyways? Um, but... When I look back at it now, I think, really, how can you have this expansive evolutionary, evolutionary experience if you didn't go there in the first place? Right. How can you wake yeah. up if you never went to sleep? <laughs> Very, Very good. good, yes. Well, that goes back to allowing everybody to make their own decisions. Um, the choices we make are always based on our own personal knowledge base. So the more we grow and expand, the more that truth becomes part of your life. And it becomes knowledge rather than belief. So that's, yeah, we're, we're in this changing dimension. And it's uh, a change that I'm welcoming because openness is becoming the norm. 
in certain areas. We think it's rather fun. <laughs> it yeah, is. It seems to be catching on. We, we do. Yeah. It does. It does. And, uh, you know, I mean, and that's that's really what we what we do every morning. We we get up and because we're crazy, um, so we get up and we scour the internet and we find all the good news, everything that's inspirational, and then we do an hour on the radio of sharing of good news. Because we think that if you're going to wake up with Everyday Connection, you might as well wake up to good news. Yeah? <laughs> so there's a kind of a, a, a two-tone message to that show because really it's about, it's about waking up on multiple levels. You're waking up for the day. You're waking up to a positive message. But, but you're waking up in life to realize that there really is an amazing amount of positive change occurring on our planet okay. simultaneously right now. And it's speeding up exponentially and so we want to highlight that through our work and that's what we focus on because we believe that the more you focus your attention on into something the more it expands and we want the good news to expand so we thought well, we'll just tell everybody about it yeah that's ideal you're creating a balance to all of the other garbage that gets streamed into people's lives yeah, well, it, it, I've, I've wondered always about that, too. You know, how did we get on that tack? But, again, it was a fascinating choice. And, but there ought to be something. You're gonna, you pretty much know some of these other shows that are on in the morning. And, and, okay, they got fancy moving pictures, that television thing, and we're just radio <laughs> so far. But you pretty much we'll know you're going to get a big old plate full of really scary stuff. Right. And... I, frankly, I've I've done that. I've gotten up and been reading the newspaper while watching the news on TV, and then listening to talk radio in the car all day long. And that stuff will kill you. It just flat kills you. <laughs> Lee and I look at each other and say, and we wonder why they don't land. Please, you know. <laughs> I mean, I think it was Bashar that once said, you know, would you land in the asylum if all the inmates were armed? Exactly. <clears throat> Yeah. <laughs> but but it's okay. You're getting over it. It's you're going to be okay. <laughs> no, you have to be. We live in such an incredible place. This planet is so beautiful and so full of things to experience. Um if you get out of the way of your own fear, it, there's <laughs> there's just absolutely nothing that can stop you from living the fullest life possible. Amen to that. <laughs> oh, all right. She summed up her show. We're done. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's so amazing how often we get guests from so many different walks of life, and they end up always pretty much with the summing up the show at somewhere. Same message. Yeah. Well, Same message. It's in there. Every show. It's incredible. It's and, amazing. I love my job. And, and it's wow. perfect timing because it is about, it's about that time. I hate to say that it's about that time because... I know. I can say again, like I did when when Lee was with us the first time, I could sit around and chat all night. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) um, We're gonna we're gonna have to get we're gonna have to get um, Britt on just you know by herself because she still has a story to tell. Yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. We haven't even gone there yet. Well, (laughs) we only get ninety minutes. We might as well. We might as well have a threefer. I'm just saying. Yeah. You know, just put it, it out there. Then we can have them all back on again. And and. Um, well, we feel like we're a family. It's just so. It's refreshing to speak to people that are open, and receptive and curious, because that curiosity just drives 
people forward. And that's important. And we thank you for that. Yes, we do. Thank you. It was our pleasure, pleasure, Billy. Feedback. It happens. Um, (laughs) At at the oddest time. They just wanted to hear, George wanted you to hear that twice, apparently. (laughs) Curious, Curious George. Curious George, yes. Curious George. So, um, goodness gracious. Where do they find you? Yeah, we have to start the list of places where they can find you, your books, your your stuff. Sets of links, shall we, you know. uh, Where do we start? uh, The best way to reach me is through ShirleyMcLean.com. I'm on there constantly. And it's Brit at ShirleyMcLean.com. Brit with one T. One T, right. And uh, my website is www.leelders.com. You can read about my adventures in uh, Ecuador and the new book I have out called Expeditions. I think you'll enjoy it. Absolutely. Anyone that's uh, here in tonight's show and has not heard our first show that we did with Lee about the book, you've just got to catch that because it's another amazing show. Um, and. Mm-hmm. I'm having fun because it's it's not that often that I can that I can be witness to Nikki's mind getting blown twice by the same people. <laughs> and and so uh, because it was a mind blowing experience for her too, and it will be it takes for you a lot. guys. Um, yeah, after three years of doing this, it takes a bit, you know. And uh, it does it does it takes a bit to blow my mind, um, but it's really cool when it happens i learned a lot tonight and i'm i'm really full of gratitude for the both of you oh thank you not just for taking the time out of your day but really for all that you do and all that you be and 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 for the journey that you've taken the life that you've lived and and for sharing that journey with people through your work because that's what changes lives so thank you for that Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you. And and thank you for being here right on time. People have asked me more than once, um, how come you all haven't ever done a UFO show? And <laughs> I always used to say because the, right the right UFO people haven't come yet, but when they do, we'll be happy to talk to them. <laughs> so, well, thank you. Bless your hearts. Great. And um, uh, thanks for carving time out of your schedule. Share your time, talent, and treasure. Um this is this is kind of what we do, folks. Inspiration, information, and conversation, it says on the website, is the heart of everyday connection. And um, and this is it. So that's why we talk about it so much on the morning show. You guys got to catch the evening show because you think that goodness Absolutely. is... Ah, these 90 minutes, I can't hardly sleep. After. <laughs> I know, I'm so worried. So if you guys, if you, if our listeners want to want to find out about more about what we're doing, stop by everydayconnection.me because it's all about me, no matter who's reading that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and check out the massive amount of amazing conversations we have managed to have over the last three years. We're just getting started we love what we do. We're not going anywhere anytime soon. So, you know, stay tuned. Drop by our Facebook fan page. Hit like. Check us out in the morning, weekdays from 10 a.m. to 11 a.m. You can find that on the flowcooperative.com. And certainly find these two people. They're not hard to find. Trust me. <laughs> You'll learn a lot. And, and get and- the book. Yeah. Come, you can find them at our website. Just put elders in up there. You might get... 
mm-hmm. one other person, but you'll find both the uh, these interviews at everydayconnection.me as well with links to all the good stuff they're doing. So, um, goodness gracious, join us in the morning. Join us for our next conversation for our almost 400 hours of archives at our website. Mm-hmm. But until then. To our mother, to each other, but always, first and foremost, to yourselves. Stay connected. Have a great now, everybody. Join Jane and Rick again next time. Until then, visit their website at everydayconnection.me and subscribe for news and updates. Stop by their Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash everydayconnection and join the conversation. You can also subscribe on iTunes by searching for Everyday Connection Radio. Subscriptions are free, just like your Everyday Connection. selection of diamonds at Jared and our price match guarantee. You can dare to stop searching and find the perfect diamond at a price you'll love. Visit your local Jared store today and dare to be devoted. We promise to match any price on a like loose certified diamond of the same quality from any other jewelry retailer. See jared.com slash price match for details. So you're ready to ask the biggest question of your life. The only question before that question. How do you find the perfect ring to ask it with? With the incredible selection of diamonds at Jared and our price match guarantee, you can dare to stop searching and find the perfect diamond at a price you'll love. Visit your local Jared store today and dare to be devoted. We promise to match any price on a like loose certified diamond of the same quality from any other jewelry retailer. See jared.com slash price match for details.